0: Thank you, God, for this opportunity to look into your word. We pray that we would be able to focus. We pray that we would be able to think about how this applies to our own lives. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, your Shekinah glory that is among us as your people. As we share together in music, reflection, in the prophetic time. You are present here among us. And we thank you for that. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. This morning we continue on our focus of the Advent Conspiracy. Advent Conspiracy was started in the year 2006 when five pastors came up with the idea of of, uh, having this revolutionary event, by encouraging their faith communities to follow these four items, these four parts of Advent Conspiracy. And that is to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to share love. And the response to this, as they shared that with their faith communities, the response of doing this was overwhelming, so that in the intervening time from 2006, now in these past nine years, this has not only been a national event, but also has gone global, this emphasis on Advent conspiracy with those four tenants. Last Sunday, Pastor Jeff led us in the story of the, of the shepherds. The shepherds who were the, considered the lowest people at that time, in that society. And it was the shepherds who came to the Holy Family to worship, to worship Jesus. And we saw how that they and other ordinary persons were invited into the Christmas story. In the book Advent Conspiracy, the authors share the story of a pastor who said this. Quote, people in our church grabbed hold of this concept of spending less. People made Christmas simpler in order to worship fully. People give relationally. A woman chose to ask her neighbors what their favorite charities were, and instead of giving them a typical gift, she donated to those charities in the name of her neighbor's. And then the pastor continues by saying and concludes, Christmas is becoming something different, something better, end of quote. So I'd like to read the first scripture that we'll look at this morning it's from Matthew 6, verses 9 to 24. Or excuse me, 19 to 24. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light with you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then Jesus says No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This passage and this portion of Scripture is part of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we call the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to his disciples. Where Jesus went up on a mountain, one of the many times in the book of Matthew where where Matthew seems to emphasize mountains, Jesus goes up on the mountain and he sits down, as was the custom in those times. The teacher sat down to teach. He sat down, and he taught his disciples. Jesus builds this sermon on contrasts. He builds this sermon on contrasts. And he says, you can have earthly goods and clothing and precious metals. And as was emphasized in those ancient times, Maws destroy the clothes, and thieves break through the wall and take the precious metals. In contrast, as Jesus emphasized in this passage, the treasure in heaven is imperishable. And just let me state, too, that uh, in your bulletin, there are, there's a sheet there that indicates the message or message notes and you can fill in the blanks if that is helpful or you can take some notes on the, after that list. So the one of the blanks is the I believe it's the second one is the imperishable. The treasure in heaven is imperishable. And that treasure does not deteriorate. That treasure will never be stolen. For Jesus says in verse 21 Jesus also says wherever your treasure is There, the desires of your heart will be also. So, in verse 24, Jesus indicates that divided loyalty will not work. Jesus states pointedly that we, as disciples of Jesus, cannot serve both God and wealth, or cannot serve both God and money. And the, as Feme Perkins points out, quote, the word that is translated money or wealth means all the material possessions. It means including all our property, all our money, and all our belongings, end of quote. Jesus is saying we're either devoted to him, we're either devoted to God, or we are devoted on our first priority is to our things, to what we have. We either love God first or we love our things first. We can't take a middle-of-the-road approach. Jesus is saying that's the reality and that's what he's teaching. There's not a middle-of-the-road. We either love God first or we love our things first. And then we have the second passage of Scripture that we want to look at this morning. And that comes from... James chapter 5. And we know that James was the brother of the Lord. He became a a leader in the church, particularly a leader in one of the church leaders in Jerusalem. And so perhaps James, we don't know, but perhaps James was listening to these words of Jesus as he talks, as Jesus was preaching there on the Sermon on the Mount. And now, in this passage, James indicates some of the same themes as Jesus indicates. James says, in James 5, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So prior to this passage in James 5, James is teaching, he is teaching what it means to follow Jesus. But now in this passage, in James 5, he switches dramatically and he gives this prophetic uh, kind of a, a really a jab to the people and and. Those who were wealthy needed to pay attention. And he says, your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corrupted. It's interesting that James uses the past tense. And he uses the past tense to indicate that the judgment has already begun. They are not waiting for the judgment. That has already begun. And he also says that they have hoarded their money And because they have hoarded their money, it's not able to be used for the common good. Their money has rusted and is therefore not available. James says in verse 5 that the cries of the victims of injustice, the victims of injustice will be heard. The rich, he suggests, have gotten rich by the injustice of the workers who have produced their goods, their wages do not meet the needs of the people, do not meet the needs of their living expenses. And in day's time, if James were here, he would point out that wages in other parts of the world are kept low so that they can produce goods to be sold cheaper in the United States of America. More about that a bit later. Feme Perkins suggests three reasons why the rich are condemned in this passage. One, they do not understand that wealth is held in trust for the larger community. The rich have an obligation to use some of it to benefit others. Two, they neglect the laws that demand fair treatment of laborers. And three, the excessive personal consumption of wealth by the rich shows that they have the means to help the less fortunate, end quote. As I was preparing the sermon, it was interesting to realize that the news came out this week that Mark Zuckerberg, you may recognize that name, he's one of the founders of Facebook, and he and his wife uh, had a, a child, had a little baby, and Mark wrote a letter to his newborn daughter. And in that letter, he, he indicated that he vowed in this letter that he would give 99% of his shares in Facebook, that he would give those to charity as he set up a limited liability corporation. So evidently he has caught some of the reality that with his wealth he needs to share it to benefit and to work for the common good of society and I give him credit for that. But isn't it interesting that Christmas at Christmas time here in the United States we remain it remains commercialized with a focus on gifts? It's rather ironic, is it not, that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus who was born in a stable, and as Jesus says to his disciples that he has no place where to lay his head, he has no place to call his own. And it's rather ironic, and I find significant discontinuity in this picture of Christmas, how we celebrate in our culture, when Christmas is reduced to shopping and to spending and giving and uh, making sure we have just the right gifts. The emphasis in our society is on shopping and finding the right gifts. The beginning of the week, NBC News reported that on November 30, Cyber Monday, so-called Cyber Monday, there was more shopping online than in the bricks and mortar stores. And there was a total of about $3 billion spent on that day, on Monday. $3 billion with a B. And also, Amazon sold 500 items per second. Per second that day with one million packages on that day leaving their facilities those are incredible statistics of our emphasis and focus on things on consumption the National Retail Federation reported that quote for 2014 the total holiday retail sales increased 3.8% in that one year to 601.8 billion. In addition, non-store holiday sales, which is an indicator of online and e-commerce, grew to 95.7 billion. With this emphasis on giving, with this emphasis on things, With this emphasis on spending, some persons find that their debt load has increased, uh, their credit card debt, and and Eileen Powell reported on March 2015 that, quote, consumer spending agencies see a 25% increase in the number of people seeking help in January and February. And most of that traffic, she says, is propelled to their doors by holiday bills that haunt consumers like the ghost of Christmas past, end quote. And that's what we're encouraged to do. You don't have the money, you don't, no problem, you just put it on plastic. Robert Manning, author of the book Credit Card Nation, says, quote, while 40% of credit card users pay their bills in full each month, The remaining 60% roll them over and over and over. And he calculates, this author calculates, that the average balance of these revolvers, would you like to guess? The average balance of these revolvers is $11,500. He goes on and he says... The debt industry, and it is an industry, has persuaded people that their wants are needs and that if you really care for someone, you'll spend more money on them. And Manning says, they tell you it's easy. Just use the plastic. But they don't tell you how it will hurt in mounting debt and higher interest rates and in higher fees, end of quote. And that $11,500 on credit cards that the average person has is the average. So for some, it's a lot more than that. And they roll it over and over and over. So I would ask you, sisters and brothers, what do we do with these scriptures who who mention very pointedly about wealth? And how do we deal with this in this Christmas season? How do we respond to the culture which continues to grow more materialistic with an emphasis on material gifts? Paul tells the Romans in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, which, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, number one, how do we deal with these scriptures? Number one is what we're suggesting this morning, is to spend less. And yes, this is deliberately ambiguous. Should we or do we spend less than the average American at Christmas time? Should our goal be to spend less? Rather than going with the culture, should our goal be to spend less this Christmas than last Christmas? Should we spend less as a total family? And I would suggest this morning in this sermon that the answer to all of those questions that I just asked, that the answer is yes. And that's why it's ambiguous that we have the opportunity to say yes for all of those, to spend less than the average American to spend less this year than last year and to to spend less as a family. According to a random telephone poll of American adults, those adults are planning to spend an average of $882 on Christmas gifts, which is up slightly from last year when the planned spending was $861. And when the survey began in 1985, the planned spending that these persons wanted to spend or prepared to spend was $289. So from 1985 to this year, it climbed considerably, from 289 to 882. Secondly, we should spend less except when we sh- need to spend more. In their book of Advent Conspiracy, the authors again ask, quote, are you supporting businesses that treat their employees well or advocate for causes that you believe in, end of quote? And so there are times, and Anna and I made a decision this week, there are times when we need to spend more because of what we believe in and not go to a big box store where the cost may be cheaper. Sometimes <clears throat> I need to spend more because it supports a local business. And sometimes I need to spend more because I believe in their work and their ministry. <clears throat> Both when we lived in Illinois and also in one of my previous congregations where I was serving as intentional interim pastor, um, the congregations received items from the local 10,000 Villages store. And 10,000 Villages is a MCC, Mennonite Central Committee-supported organization, and they, quote, make handmade, handmade gifts and jewelry and home decor and art and sculpture and textiles and personal accessories representing the cultures of artisans in Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Middle East, end quote. And many persons came as the church hosted those events. Many persons came to buy Christmas gifts and as they did that, as they did that and spending more they were assisting the artisans from all those other countries so that they could experience a living wage. And because 10,000 Villagers tries to improve the lives and the welfare of these tens of thousands of artisans in these 38 countries, we should spend more on those gifts. And so I would suggest you, for you to explore the 10,000 Villages store The closest ones here are Rockvale Outlet or in the town of Intercourse. So, and I would suggest also that we need to spend more, quote, because the sales of these products help pay for food, education, health care, and housing for artisans who would otherwise be unemployed or underemployed. End of quote. I'm quoting from their website. Lastly, lastly, Know where your money is going to support. and Know what your money is going to support and where the goods that you purchase have been made, where they're made. So we should ask the question as we buy clothing in particular, as you buy, as you make a purchase from JCPenney or from The Gap, do you know that your, that your money is not going to sweatshops in Bangladesh where the women sew for $2 a day, working 12 to 14 hour shifts, six to seven days a week. And those sweatshops are continuing to produce clothing that is sold in the United States very cheaply. Do you know when you buy your clothing that it is not going to support the sweatshops? C.S. Lewis was a noted theologian suggests that we can break the power of money by giving more of it away, by being generous with what God has given to us. And he, and he says in, in Mere Christianity that some person suggests that giving to charity should be unnecessary because we should live in a society where there are no poor people. And, but C.S. Lewis says, quote, but if anyone thinks that as a consequence, you can stop giving in the meantime that then he has parted company with all Christian morality. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid that the only safe rule, he says, is to give more than we can spare. In other words, he continues, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the common standards of those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch us or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we would like to do and cannot because our charitable expenditure excludes them. For many of us, the great obstacle to charity lies not in our luxurious living, or our desire for more money, but in our fear. Fear of insecurity. Fear of our insecurity. Fear of will we run out of money? Will we have enough to provide for our needs? I'd like to share yet the last scripture passage From Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7, the prophet Isaiah suggests a different way of worship. And he says, this is the way of worship that the Lord requires, and notice how this way of worship connects with what we are talking about in spending less and in the cries of the injustice of the people. The prophet says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from your relatives need your help in other words respond generously to people respond to the needs that are around you respond to the needs in your family respond to the needs of the persons in the culture that is the fast that is the worship that the Lord requires of you the prophet says we too like Mary and Joseph, we too, like the shepherds, are ordinary persons. We are invited into the Christmas story. And we are invited into the Christmas story, I would suggest this morning, to live in a counter-cultural way. To live in the way that Paul, writing to the Romans, not letting the world squeeze us into its mold, to live in a counter-culture against the culture, or different, I should say, different from the culture around us. And one of those ways is to deliberately plan to spend less. To determine in our minds we will not follow the path of our culture. So, I would ask you, as the worship team comes forward to uh, lead in our closing song. If you can state publicly that you are ready to make the decision to spend less, whatever that means, if you're ready to make the decision to spend less, whatever that means for you, it's deliberately ambiguous, but you want to make that decision publicly, you can come forward and write on the, this wall as we share the last song, Go Light Your World. So as a symbol of, of uh, stating publicly, you want to spend less, you can come and write on this wall right here. I have some magic markers while we sing that song.